The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. So last week, Pastor Richie started a series called A Father's Love, talked about a father's love, and I'm going to continue in that series today. And I'm going to share something um, out of my life that I've dealt with that I've had to overcome, and it's about insecurity. So I have two boys, two wonderful boys, Nate and Jordan, who are 17 and 10. They're the, the joy of my life. I love them very much. And as a mom, you know everything you do, you do for your children, right? Moms can understand that. I'm sure dads can too, but I'm speaking from a mom. <laughs> But one time um, when Jordan, well, all the time when Jordan was little, he used to say this to me all the time, Mom, do you love me? And I would say, yes, I love you. And he would say, how much do you love me? And I would say, I love you this much. And he would say, well, I love you this much. And I would say, well, I love you to the moon and back. And he would say, I love you to the universe and back. And it would just go back and forth to determine who loved each other the most. And so it was such a fun time. He still does that every now and then with me. But I remember one time when he was four, he had pink eye. And um, he had got pink eye. He had allergies. And so he got pink eye kind of frequently. And we would have, you know, eye drops that you put in their eyes for pink eye. So he was laying down, getting ready. It's time for his eye drops. And normally he's really, really good about taking his eye drops. And so he was laying there. I got the eye drops. I came over to him. And I'm starting to put him in his eye, bloop, 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 you know, the couple of eye drops that you put in. Well, he starts to scream. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, my goodness, he never does this, you know. What's going on? I'm looking at him. His eye's okay. I look at the bottle of eye drops, and I notice that I did not have the bottle of eye drops I'm supposed to put into his eyes. I had a bottle of antiseptic for swimmer's ear that he got a couple of months before that I'm putting into his eyes. And so, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm washing out his eye, making sure he's okay. And after he calms down and after I calm down, (laughs) you know, he looks at me and he says, Mom, do you love me? (laughs) I said, yes, of course I love you. And he said, then why would you do that to me? (laughs) You know, and so I was just reminded of how many times do we ask that to God? God, do you love me? If you love me, why would you let me go through something that has seemed so unfair in my life? And so I'm going to talk about that in my life today. A little background on me. I was born into a very dysfunctional, abusive family. We were all so scared of my father. You never knew what was going to set him off. And we all experienced some form of abuse from him. I'm going to try to get through this without crying. <laughs> Um, One of my earliest memories that I had of my dad, I was about two or three, and I was on my mom's lap. We were in the bathroom, or on my mom's hip, she was standing, and we were in the bathroom. And he was actually holding my brother, who was about 12 at that time, under hot faucet in the bathtub, disciplining him because he wouldn't listen until he couldn't take it anymore. He was scolding his face. My mom was screaming. I was crying. My brother was fighting. But being 12, he couldn't fight for very long being held underwater. And so he finally gave up. My dad finally realized he had control of the situation. And so my dad eased up and let him up. And so this is the kind of experience that I had. It was not normal. My dad was not normal. 
I was so fearful of everything from that moment on. I can remember being a very shy and timid girl. But one thing was I loved going to school and I loved going to church. My grandmother took me to church every time those doors opened. And so I knew that was a safe place because my mom and dad did not go to church. My dad didn't go and my mom was not allowed to go. So um, I was able to go to church with my grandma and I fell in love so early in my life with the church and with Jesus because the church was a safe environment for me and Jesus was somebody who's full of kindness and love. When I was eight, I can remember seriously hating my dad so much, hating who he was, hating what he did. And one time, I can remember an audible voice of the Lord come to me. And I remember it so clearly. I was in my bedroom, and he said just these words, I love you. See, I didn't hear that from my dad. And so when I heard those words, it was different for me. And so I paid attention. And I, that, right then, I knew I wanted to give give my life to the Lord, and I gave my life over to Christ that day. But that didn't mean that things would change at home. That didn't mean that he would take me out of that horrible circumstance that I was living in. That didn't mean that he changed my dad, even though I prayed and begged so many times. I always thought, how could he let this keep happening? Didn't God see what I was going through? Didn't God care? Does he really love me? Am I even important enough to save? When I was little, I would hear voices from my father, my earthly father, saying, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never be anything. And something I had to learn as I got older is that your value does not decrease based on someone's inability to see your worth. That is the truth that I had to learn. But I also heard a voice from the Father saying, I love you and I want you. You know, there always will be conflicting voices in your head. The voice we respond to will determine the future that we experience. I want to say that again. Somebody needs to hear that. The voice that we respond to determines the future that we experience. That's why it's so important to hear the word of the Lord over you. That's why it's so important to speak those promises over your life every moment. Pastor Richie has taught us that as we speak what God says over us, we are learning to agree with God, to align ourselves with what God speaks. Do you know that God is always speaking over you? He is always saying, I love you. He is always saying, I want you. You are mine. But there's a lot of noises in the world that keeps us from hearing those words. There's voices that will tell you that you're not good enough. There's voices that speaking death over you. Maybe it might be somebody in your life. Maybe it's parents that's being less than supportive. But there are always God. There is always God that's speaking those positive things over us. So who is it that you're listening to? Whose voice is directing your path? We can't choose what people say to us, but we can choose what we believe. The message I'm going to be speaking to you today is, I am who God says I am. And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4. So if you want to go ahead and start turning to Exodus 3. And while you're doing that, I just want to share. Most of us are driven by a scarcity mentality when we're thinking about ourselves. The underlining thing that we think when we're presented with a challenge or a character flaw in ourselves is something like this. 
I am not blank enough. If you want to go ahead and put that on the screen. Okay, I am not blank enough. (laughs) I left the blank in there because you can fill it in with whatever it is that talks to you. It can change from moment to moment. It can change from person to person. For my life, it was, I am not special enough. I can relate to this. How many of you can relate to this, have spoken this over yourself? I am not blank enough. I think we all have. What is your blank? Smart enough? Pretty enough? Good enough? You know, I don't have any special talents. I always thought I'm not special enough. I can't sing. Actually, I I can sing. I can't carry a tune. (laughs) I'm not athletic. I was never one, especially being a very shy and timid girl, I was never one that was chosen for athletic teams, even though I tried out for everything. Um, Even when I had a boyfriend, until Ronnie, my boyfriends would go out with me to go out with my girlfriends. How many of you girls can experience that, right? So I was, I am not special enough. Well, I want to talk today about someone in the Bible who struggled with insecurity as well, and that's Moses, the leader of the Old Testament. You wouldn't think that Moses, being this strong and courageous person who led his people out of slavery through the Red Sea, you wouldn't think that he dealt with insecurity, would you? But let's go ahead and look at Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So we know that Moses was isolated and alone. When you're tending the flock, you're by yourself, right? So we're going to skip on to verse 2. And it says, and there, now this is important, everyone say there. You know, there is the place where God can get you alone, where he can speak to you, where you can get away from those negative voices, from all those voices telling you that you can't do it, so God can tell you that you can. So there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the midst of a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Verse 3, so Moses thought, I shall go look at this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone to look, God called to him and from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. God said, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. In verse 9, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here we see God is telling Moses that he's called for a special purpose, for the special time, for a special mission, special mission. So not very often do we actually hear the Lord telling us what what to do, right? But Moses heard him. So verse 11, Moses said to God, now here's Moses talking back to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So in the scripture, We're watching a conversation between God and Moses. God is telling Moses who he is. I am God. I have come down 
And Moses' instinctive response back to God is, but who am I? Does that sound familiar in anyone's life? So here is God. I mean, here is Moses. God, I'm enjoying this conversation. This is pretty cool. You know, this whole burning bush thing. This is really cool. I can't wait to tell my friends about this one. They're not going to believe this. You know, I, I think you're awesome, God. You're pretty powerful. But who am I that I can do this? So one, we have one voice from the Lord saying to Moses, I am the Lord and I have come down. But then we hear the Mo- Moses saying back, I hear who you are, but who am I? He's probably thinking, I'm a messed up man. He's thinking, God, I'm sure you can deliver these people, but I'm not sure I'm the man that can do it. Who am I? You know, so many times when God's speaking a promise over our lives, we look back a lot of times into our past failures and mistakes, and we ask him, I, who am I? I can't do that. Have you seen my past, Lord? But instead of looking at our past, when we hear those promises, We need to look at what we've been through. I know every single one of us in here has been through hard times. We're human. That happens. And instead of looking back and saying, I can't do it because of what has happened, you need to look at it and say, you know what? It may not have been perfect, but I came through it. It may not have been perfect, but I have victory over that. And so Moses is saying, look at me. I'm a murderer. I can't speak well. I'm no one special. Who am I that God would need me? I'm so jacked up. I'm so messed up. When the enemy speaks to us, he doesn't speak in an accusation of saying, you are, you are. He gets us to internalize it in our mind and gets us to say it to ourselves: I am not. I am not. And so the conversation goes back and forth with God and Moses. So we're going to skip on to chapter 4, but let me catch you up what's going on between 3 and 4. So Moses is saying, yeah, I know who you are, and you're speaking through me through a burning bush. That's pretty amazing, right? Which This is really cool, and I can believe, God, that you can do this, but what, what am I to do if I go to them, and I'm telling them I'm talking to a burning bush, and this burning bush tells me to go lead the people out of, Israel, out, out of the slavery, what am I to do? And God says, well, let me give you some signs. Let me give you some miracles. First of all, you've got a staff in your hand. You can throw that down, and it'll turn to a snake. Pick up the snake, it'll turn back into a staff. Then he says, if that doesn't work, you can put your hand into your cloak, pull it out, it'll be leprous. Put it back in your cloak and pull it out, it'll be normal again. Then he says, well, if that doesn't work, you can also get water from the Nile River, pour it onto the ground, and it'll turn to blood. And uh, so Moses says, After all that, if you can imagine, first of all, a burning bush is talking to you. You can pick up a stick and it'll turn into, or throw the stick down on the ground, it'll turn into a snake. Pick it back up, it'll turn back into a stick. All these things, you know, God can do some pretty amazing things in our life, but we can still doubt it, right? We see miracles all the time, but we still doubt it. So here we are in chapter 4, verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he's saying, God, you've got the wrong guy. I can't do this. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So God here is saying, Who made you the way you are? God is saying, 
who made you? And Moses is saying, I'm, I'm running out of excuses. I don't know what to do now. And he makes one last plea. Verse 13, Moses says to the Lord, oh, Lord, please send someone else. So he's saying, I'm running out of excuses. You've shot down every excuse I have. My past, my failures, what people have said about me. You may believe in me, but I don't believe in myself. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, well, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. So verses 16, it says, he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and if you were God to him. But take the staff so you can perform the signs with it. In other words, God's saying to Moses, even though you're not going along with the plan, I'm still going to use you. Even though I can't make you believe me, even though I can't make you trust me, I'll still use you. I still believe in you, and I'm still going to bless you. You know, what's interesting, interesting is in this is that you never did see Moses say to God that he did, doubted what God could do. It was all about what Moses could do. In our own lives, we don't doubt that God can do it. We just doubt that he can do it through us, right? The words that I've spoken before is, God, I don't doubt that you can do it. I'm just doubting that I'm fit enough to be a part of your plan. It's not you, God. It's that I'm not special enough. So let me go back. There's a part of the story, Moses' story, that I left out. Something to help you deal with insecurities. Chapter 3, verse 13. So Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to me or sent me to you. So God's saying, I am. I can imagine Moses sitting there going, I am. I am. God, is that the whole thing? Is that all that you're saying? Is there something else to that, God? Surely there's something else. I am? So why would God give Moses such an ambiguous answer? I was thinking about this and wondering, why did God just say, I am? Well, I've heard one commentary say that I am, you can think about it, in the present tenseness. God is saying, I'm not just the God of your past. I'm not just the God of your mother and your father and your grandmother and grandfather. I'm not just the God of when you get out, got out of that situation. I'm also not just the God of in your future, of who will be, who's going to bring you that victory. I'm the God who is right now. So also, I imagine that this statement is also open-ended. You can imagine God filling in your blank. I am blank. In other words, you may feel like I am not good enough, but God's saying, I am good enough. That I, God is saying, I am the God who is whatever you're not. I am. That's how you're to think of me. I am whatever you're not. That's who you can believe in me. I complete your blank. I am. Well, but God, you see, I'm just not uh, smart enough. I know, but I am. But God, you see, I'm just not good enough. I know, but I am. 
But God, you see, I'm just, I'm not rich enough. I can't give you anything. I know, but I am. God, I'm not very skilled. I'm not very confident. I don't think I can go along with this plan. You can't use me. I know, but I am. Moses with God, God, he's saying, God, who am I? I can't speak. I'm not good with words. And God is saying, I know. I will give you everything you need. I am God in you. God is saying, I'm, Moses is saying, I am not good enough. And God is saying, but I am. It's not about what you are, but who God is in you. Whose name do you have? If you're married, you'll get this. See, when I was 16, well, actually, when I was born, let me back up. I was born Stephanie Roberts. I didn't like that name. I didn't want that name. And I be, when I was 16, I actually met a hunk of hunk of man, Ronnie Woodard. <laughs> Fell in love with this confident, cocky, arrogant, wonderful man of God. We got married when I was 19. We'll be together for 20, well, married for 23 years this, this uh, August. So, But when I got married, I took on the name of Ronnie Woodard. I became Stephanie Woodard. It was the greatest day in my life. That meant what we now do, we do together. What we now have, we have together. You know, there's no prenup when you're 19 getting married with $43 in your checking account. <laughs> you share everything. <laughs> But let me tell you what happened on the greatest day of your life when you became a Christian, when you called on the name of Jesus, when you asked him to come into your life and turn your life around. You took on his name. You became one with him. What he has, you have. You have no lack. Who he is, you are now his as well. So when you're saying, I am not blank enough, you're in essence saying God is not blank enough because you are now one with him. You have now taken on his identity. So who do you say you are? You know, if God is in you, you are more than enough. Listen, I completely understand about insecurity, about being in a situation to make you doubt yourself, doubt who you are. As a child, I was completely and totally broken. I had no identity. In fact, I was invisible because I learned how to become invisible. If you were not seen or heard, that usually meant that you were out of harm's way. But when I became a teenager, I was so embarrassed by my father, embarrassed who he was, how he would act. I was so furious that he would do those things and be able to get by with it. When I gave my life to Christ, I didn't fully understand that now I had a new identity. It wasn't until I got older, after I was married, all my life, you know, I would ask God for a father, a father in my life who wasn't so crazy, a father who didn't make my life so miserable, a father that I could go to and he would be proud of me, a father that I could go to and cry on his shoulder when I had a bad day, a father that I could go to for advice. And so I was crying out to God one more time, God, I just want a father. And he spoke to me so clearly and he said, I am your father. And I was, filled up. Yeah. I was filled up with so much love. He was saying to me, what are you looking for? What do you need? I am. Do you need a father's hug? Come to me. Do you need to come and have me hold you? Come to me. 
Do you need advice? Come to me and talk to me, and I'll tell you everything you need to know. I never felt so loved, but believe me, it was hard. I never had an earthly father that my other girlfriends had that they could just go and be with and have a father-daughter day or have a good weekend with their dad. I was terrified of my dad. But I learned in that moment that I could trust the Father. In any moment, instead of picking up a, a phone and calling my dad, I could pick up the phone and talk to the Father. And he could speak over me anything that I needed. If I needed love, he was always there to love me. He is proud of me. He is happy with who I am. So you are who God says you are. You may have the DNA of your birth mother and father, but when you gave your life over to Christ, you now have the DNA of God, the Father, in you. God says who you are. Whatever you're not, whatever you need, he says, I am. Whatever you need from someone else, he says, I am. When the enemy come, comes and asks you, who do you think you are? You need to stand up and say, I am who God says I am. I am the blood-bought child of God. I am an heir of Christ. I can do what he says I can do. I am victorious. I will get to the other side. And if he is in me, who is against me? There is nobody. There is something good that came out of my childhood. Going through all of that, I'm a stronger, more determined woman. I can get through things um, with determination and strength. I am a survivor. Just like when Moses was taking the Israelites through the Red Sea. Never did, Moses, never did God promise Moses that he would remove the Red Sea. He said, you're going to have to go through the Red Sea. And so God took Moses by faith every step of the way. He provided every step of the way. God may not take you out of your circumstance, but he's going to provide every step for you. He will take you to the other side. As we end here, there is an old hymn that I love to hear, and it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I grew up Baptist, and so this was a very near and dear hymn to me. And he says, the verse says, the chorus says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, when we are presented with that fear, when we're presented with the insecurity of who we are, we need to stop looking at ourselves and who we are and start looking at Jesus and who he is and who we are in him. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of God.